0: Until then, we hope this message leads you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Uh, I love the praise team, don't get me wrong. Got some beloved people in that second praise team that was up here. That first one, though. Oh, my goodness. So, dude standing right here that was not intimidated to pull his shirt up eventually. (laughs) I see that as a future worship leader. I mean, (laughs) no boundaries, right? And then this little sister that was standing right there, she constantly checking her jewelry to make sure everything was good. (laughs) She'll be a pastor someday. (laughs) No doubt in my mind. Wow. Well, um, I have a question for you this morning. You ready? Okay, here we go. When was the last time that you were absolutely stopped in your tracks by a good question? Now, I'm not talking about those of you that are in school or those of you that just did the GRE or the MAT or all. Well, that's different. I'm talking about a good philosophical question that just absolutely stopped you. Young people, the very young, and I assume probably some of these that took the platform first this morning are very good question askers. Um, There's a favorite little girl of mine um, that asked a great one the other day. I wasn't there, but I heard about it. And this also gives me an opportunity for you to know one of my grandchildren, or two of them. we got a slide coming up. So one of these little girls who shall not be named out, uh, was, at, was watching her dad and maybe her grandpa fishing in the ocean the other day. And she watched as they threw that line out, caught a fish, fish came in on the hook, they showed her the fish, and her question was this. Does that fish know he's going to die? Right, you don't have an answer, do you? Exactly. That's when you step back and say, that is a really good question, right? That's what, how we as parents survive those moments, right? We say that. Well, recently, hasn't been but a few days, I was being interviewed at Doors of Hope, which is the organization that I lead, by a group of high schoolers. Now, you talk about a different vibe, right? High school kids ask different questions, but I didn't even... Didn't even think about that possibility. They they started out by asking the same old questions that I'm very accustomed to answering about the organization. How long has it been in existence? Nine years. How many people do you serve? Approximately 400 a year. What services do you offer? I spilled those off. You know, we do pre-release education. We do post-release uh, pre-release. Um, food, clothing, housing, counseling, recovery, life skills. I I was into that. How many employees do you have? We have 10. What's your annual budget? $650,000. And what is your salary? None of your business, right? (laughs) So then there's always the one that I always get 100%. doesn't matter what age group I'm talking with. Um, Why did you start this organization? The why question? So, I was trying to paint a picture of the why, of what it was like the first time I walked into a correctional facility, not just into the lobby, but into the place. The sensory overload, all that I was seeing for the first time, the sounds I was hearing, um, even the smells I was taking in, the, the chaos around me. I was talking about that. I was talking about the no nonsense guard who seemed not to like me very much, which always makes me feel insecure, but she didn't act like she liked anybody. So then there was that long walk down that hallway into the bowels of that facility and the meeting of a complete stranger for the first time, Um, a gal who was finishing a sentence for Grand Theft Auto, which I truly thought was a video game and a video game only. I didn't You just don't know what you don't know sometimes, right? So I talked about what it was like to sit on a concrete bunk across from a gal, knee to knee, almost about 18 inches separating you from a stranger who was finishing up a long sentence um, for doing a very bad thing. And then, right in the middle of my spiel, don't you hate it? A question. Yes. So her question was one, that I've been mulling over for a few, few days. She said, why did you keep going? Even if you were that scared, why, what made you keep going? Um, if you were that scared, why didn't you just turn around and walk back out? As many times as I've made that presentation to as many different people, I've never been asked that question. Good question. Good questions always make us stop and think, don't they? Um, thinking is a rare phenomena these days, but good questions make us stop and do that very thing. And the more I mused about that question then, and I probably bungled it, don't even remember what I said, but the more I thought about that, I thought about other great questions. And so I began to think about how incredibly powerful a question can be. My mind went to... Some great questions I've come across in this book. Great questions. Um, Probably the first recorded question, um, a very good one, came from a very unsavory character. Satan asked Eve a question. He asked her, did God really say that? Did God really say that? So she bungled her question just, you know, badly, but it's still a good question nonetheless, and it's one that Satan, though, can use and does use. By the way, Satan always tries us to get us to question something that God has already been very clear about. Thank you. I'm going to say that again. Satan will always try to get you to question something that God has already been very clear about. We're hard on Eve, you know. Uh, she is that, that person. But listen, she didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within her. She didn't have thousands of years of Christian experience, and she did not have God's Word. Um, we have all those advantages, and we still bungle the question sometimes. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So this question makes um, a good case for studying the Scripture if, you, if someone asks you, did God really say that, thank God for objective truth. Okay? There's a lot of untrue truth floating around these days, but this is true truth. And he left it for us for that very reason. Um, shortly after that defining moment when, when Satan asked Eve that question, God asked Adam a question or two or three. One of them he asked him was, where are you? And Adam made up a story that a three-year-old would be proud of. He said something about, I'm hiding out because um, we were naked. Well, do you suppose that God knew his anatomy? God made him, right? Was he naked on the day he was born? Dumb answer, right? But a good question. Terrible, terrible answer. At any rate, it's not a bad question for us to consider. Where are you? Where are you in your Christian walk? Where are you in your calling? Where are you on the growth chart of your Christian life? You growing and thriving? You're afraid of being exposed? You're hiding out somewhere? Where are you? Good question, right? There's another Old Testament setting that, uh, where God asked a, um, a question of a, a man named Joshua. You remember Joshua, right? What was Joshua so famous for? It's okay if you talk back to me. I'm used to it. <laughs> what was Joshua so famous for? Of he fit the Battle of Jericho, didn't he? Back in the day, they sang a, a spiritual. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. Thank you. I'm not... I'm not the oldest person in the room. Joshua was that man of tremendous courage, remember? He was the one. He was one of those 12 spies that Moses sent across. And, And when he came back, he came back with a good report. He was courageous. But this time, God found him discouraged, defeated, scared to death. And his question to Joshua was, Why are you lying thus on the ground? Still a good question, right? Um, He followed it up with, get up. And I've got a little tab in my Bible that directs me to that passage that says, get up. Because sometimes I need to be able to see that. When you're discouraged, you're lying with your face in the dirt, and you're supposed to be a leader, you don't need to be laying there for long before you need to hear that internal voice saying, get up. There's work to be done. There's another very uh, poignant Old Testament setting. There's this question, and all of you know this one. You've heard it. This is the one that makes our hearts go pitter-patter. Who knows but what you have come to this place for such a time as this? Who said it? Mordecai to Esther. Esther. Thank you. Okay. Fast forward right quick. To the New Testament, the book of John, Jesus, who always knows the answer ahead of time, asked a great question to a man who was paralyzed. Great question. Do you want to be well? Very important question. I deal with people all the time who are in dire straits but not necessarily ready to get well. You ever come across anybody like that? Because to be well changes everything. It means you're no longer the victim. You're no longer marginalized. You have to get up off your mat and deal with life on life's terms. The struggle is real. And if you want to be well, there will be struggle. Struggle also if you're lying on your mat, but point well taken. But back to that question that I was asked by that teenager, why keep going forward? Why, indeed, why keep going forward? I should have pointed my little friend to at least three things that day, and I didn't. Always, you think of the good answer after the fact, don't you? So you get the answer today. If you ever see her, let her know that I did eventually come up with an answer, okay? Three things that came into play that day when I was scared to death in the bowels of that concrete jungle. And three things that also, as I was reflecting on this opportunity today, came into play in 2002 when Real Life Community Church of the Nazarene was on the launching pad. Commitment, number one, commitment. Once you've committed, you move forward. You don't just turn around and go back because you're feeling some kind of way. That's a term I've learned over the course of time of working with women. When they can't quite identify what they're feeling, I'm feeling some kind of way. Use that term. That's good um, if, if, you're, if you ever get stuck. Just feeling some kind of way. But you don't turn back just because you're feeling some kind of way, okay? Okay. Statistics show, and I looked at a little bit of research on this because I, I, I wondered, in this day and age when education is so easy to get, when higher education is easy to obtain, people are quitting school just as rapidly as they're going in. Uh, less than half of the people complete. So easy to get money to go to school and easy to quit. One-third of new hires quit within the first 90 days. That should be a blessing to anyone working in the employment field. Gym memberships. Oh, you knew I was going there, didn't you? <laughs> People quit those things at an amazing rate, a very high failure rate. Um, I, I've always noticed there's a, a new gym that's gone in just a few um, blocks from our house, and man, when they open that thing, they put the trailer out front, people swarm there to sign up for gym memberships. I thought, there is no way all those people are going to fit in that building. Guess what? They don't. The January, you can't find a parking place except out by the interstate. April, all the machines are open. We're quitters, aren't we? Yeah, we it's. People quit diets, people quit church, people quit relationships. Here's a fast-breaking news story for you. Commitment has gone out of style. Commitment means that whether you're storming the beaches of Normandy or you're starting a new church, you don't go back just because it would be easy to give up. Whether you're trying to hold a marriage together or you're trying to hold a business together or you're trying to keep a church budget together, Once you've committed, you don't turn around and go back until the task is complete or God says it's enough. Fun fact about the word commitment. In the version of the Bible that I choose to use uh, a lot, the New King James Version, the word commitment is not in there. Commitment is a fairly new word. It's an old Uh, It's an old phenomena, but it's a fairly new word. There are plenty of examples of commitment in this book, though, right? There are plenty of examples of people who did well with their commitment, and there's several in there of people who didn't do so terribly well with their commitment. There's that guy Daniel in the Old Testament that we all learn about when we are children. Um, He made a commitment to God. And it wasn't in the best of circumstances, as you remember. It was a terribly difficult time and place to be committed to God when you're living in a pagan society. Right? I have a feeling we're going to figure out what that's like before it's over. Not a terribly popular time to be Christian and have Christian values. Um, But Daniel was committed to God. One of the fun facts I learned about Daniel in studying his life, I looked very carefully at the timeline of his life. That old guy was almost 80 years old when they decided he should be lunch for the lions. 80 years old? Holy Moses. It's a big, long commitment. It also might explain why they didn't need him. I mean, you're kind of tough by that time, so there is that. But why keep going forward? It's about commitment, okay? Can you say the word with me? Yes. Commitment. Yes. All right. It's also about another C word, and it's calling. If at some point in time, like Mr. Daniel, you have acknowledged God's call in your life, and you have put your yes on the table, there's no turning back. When the going gets rough, and it seems like it should be a little bit easier to say, hmm Not so much today, or when your GPS is saying, Ooh, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. No going back. I can assure you that there were one or two times in the early days of this church called Real Life Community when we might or might not have heard the question, Did God really say you know, it's a really good question in those defining moments. It helps to affirm. It helps you confirm. Either yes, he did, or maybe I heard it wrong. A good, uh, there was a writer in early Church of the Nazarene days who wrote a book called uh, They Said It Straight and I Heard It Crooked. That's a good title of a book, right? <laughs> uh, God Said It Straight and I Heard It Crooked. Sometimes we hear it crooked. But we came to this town, this Murfreesboro town, from a very small town, but from a very well-established church. Cutting edge for our community, wouldn't you say? Yeah. But probably pretty hokey for uh, Murfreesboro standards. Um, Mega churches for sure. One of the most unforgettable, defining moments of that whole experience Pre-launch, and there were 19 of us that launched this church. There were assignments to be done as we began the process of planting this church. One of the um, assignments was to exegete the culture, exegete the church culture that we were coming into. So here's what I decided to do. There were there were 19 of us. Um, I found, I think, six or seven churches in the community, and I gave assignments to the different couples to go to those churches, go to that church on Sunday morning, and here's what I want you to look for. Um, I want you to look at the parking lots, Uh, how easy is it to park, how easy is it to find the right door to go in, Um, how were you greeted, how you felt, were you welcomed, how difficult is it to find the restroom, or the, or the nursery? What kind of vibe you picked up? Did it feel like the Holy Spirit was free and able to move in that place? Uh, look at the demographic of the congregation. See who it is that they're serving and listen to the message. We found out later the message is not the first thing that people notice when they come to a church. We're told that people make up their mind before they ever get in the church whether or not they'll come back. I don't know if that's true or not, but we sure did take that to heart. Uh, we, we asked them to look to see, is, is the message biblical? What about the worship style? Uh, did it feel like a performance, or did it feel like something that was inviting people to come into the presence of God? So all those things. Wouldn't that be a fun assignment? You know what? We could just leave right now and go to one of those churches if you want to. Well, you, no, no don't, don't do that. I'll never be invited to come back if I let you do that but we learned a lot from that experience because we did all those visits and then that Sunday night we came back together as a group of 19 and we shared what we had found. We had a lot of fun with that, but I will tell you that later that night, trying to sleep, trying to assimilate all that information, I began to have that question because I was wondering how in the world a group of 19 people from a county an hour away, a very rural area, could possibly come to a city like Murfreesboro and make an impact. Was that even necessary? With all those great churches, wouldn't it just be easier to join one of them or just go back home? Wouldn't it? Did God really say that real-life community church should exist? I will tell you this. We started having services in a motel meeting room. It gives me anxiety just thinking about it. Man, we would come in there on Sunday morning bringing in all of our worship equipment. My husband is over here, and God bless him. He's going to have the biggest crown when we get to heaven that there is bringing in all the worship equipment, sorry about that, all of the stuff with you, coming into a meeting room that reeks of alcohol and stale cigarette smoke and nothing that looks like a church at all. And setting that up, and you would hope that new people would come and you would nearly die of embarrassment if they did. So it was a conundrum, to say the least. In those moments, the question would come, did God really say? When you planned for a big opening day and we finally got a space that we were renting, it was the coldest day of January, but Ron McCormick said, I want you to launch on that day. He didn't know what the weather was going to be. I didn't know a launch it was. Coldest day on record in the state of Tennessee since we've been keeping records. And... Bless your heart, the heat in the building decided not to work that day. And the landlord was unavailable because, bless your heart, he was in church. (laughs) The question was pretty loud that day. Did God really say? When you plan for a big follow-up day, the day after, and barely 50 people show up. As my dad would say, people stayed away in droves. The question creeps in, did God say that? When the people do start to come, and they're not the people from VIP magazine. They're the people from the streets. They're the lovely people from the NA community who I love with all my heart. They give you the best and the biggest hugs at the door, but they don't have a shiny dime to put in the offering plate. And the bills keep coming. question comes back around, did God really say that? Satan is not the brightest crayon in the box, but he did come up with a good question. Did God really say it? Helps you define your mission, helps you refine your commitment. It causes you to pray more. It clarifies your calling. St. Peter reminds us in his little book, first chapter of his second little book, make your calling and election sure For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Otherwise, you will stumble. And I know the danger of stringing verses together. wouldn't be the first time I've been labeled a heretic, but I'm going to put two together. Make your calling and election sure came from Peter. And Paul said, for he who called you is faithful, and he will do it. So it's about being sure of your commitment. It's about being sure of your calling. And it's about... Christ. Having made your commitment and embraced your calling, you're two-thirds of the way to being able to move forward with courage and confidence. It's about Jesus Christ or it's not a calling. And if it's not a calling and it's not about Jesus Christ, it's probably not worth your commitment anyway. Again, I refer to Satan's poignant question, did God really say did God really say If God said it, then yes, we follow him. He doesn't call us to take up our cross and get cozy with our blinky in the corner and stay there until he comes back to get us. If he calls us, we will have to get up. We will have to move forward. We may have to travel. We may have to go uncomfortable places. We may have to see things we don't want to see. We may have to hear things we don't want to hear, things that are unpleasant. We may have to move forward almost every time. And for the most part, you go without knowing where you're going. You know, we talk about Abram or Abraham for being such a guy for doing that. I don't know of too many people who have a call of God on their lives that didn't at some point get up and go without even knowing where you were going. Am I the only one? I want my money back if I'm the only one. Well, at the end of the five-year commitment that we had made, um, we knew unmistakably that we were supposed to hand it off. The church had met all the benchmarks that had been set for it to meet, to be firmly planted. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was like going off and leaving your five-year-old on the curb and saying, you'll be all right. Harder than that was trying to convince myself I would be all right. But the church plant had been such a big, uh, man, it was a good deal. It was an amazing blessing. I just knew that whatever God had next would be an equally wonderful just kick in the head. I was offered the position of missional strategy coordinator for the district and got to work with some um, low growth, slow growth, or no growth churches of the Nazarene across the state of the east eastern part of the state. And that assignment lasted for 18 months, and then there was nothing. Um, I was offered the opportunity to start a, or to restart a church up in the east part of the state. Did not feel called to that. Um, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. People said, send your resume out of the state of Tennessee. Sometimes up in Boston, they take women preachers who don't have anywhere else to go. So send your resume up there. I did not feel called to do that. Did not feel that that was the right thing to do. I was supposed to wait and stay put. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, I don't know. There's no book on that. Um, I felt like Peter, after Jesus had gone back to heaven, he said, You know what, guys? I'm going fishing. Um, uh, you know, the bills have got to be paid. We're gonna, I, I don't know what exactly I'm going to do after that, but I'm going fishing. So you do a job search. I won't bore you with that. It is pretty boring. But I landed at United Way because I was so hungry and starved to death for some way to be engaged with people again. Because Real Life Community Church had been all about people. And my heart was yearning to reach them. And United Way helps people, right? I don't know how to tell you this in a nice way, um, but no. United Way does not help people. United Way is a fundraising agency. Do I look like I want to be a fundraiser? Thank you. I do not. I was placed in the back of the organization in finance, and was made the office manager, and day after day, the phone would ring, and we were scripted to say, we do not offer direct services to individuals, please hang up and call 211. I was so desperate to connect with people, I offered to help a friend of mine who was starting a nonprofit. She was a good friend. She was having a hard time getting her nonprofit up off the ground. She was having a hard time getting volunteers. So I asked her if it was about people, and she said, Well, yes, for sure it is. I said, Okay, I'll help. Didn't ask enough questions. I said, What do you need? She said, "Uh, Here's the address. We'll do some training. Be there at 6 o'clock. Don't be late. She knew me well. I normally am that person. I got off from United Way here in Murfreesboro at 5 p.m., and I drove like a bat out. I mean, I I drove very carefully to the other side of Nashville, and I was devastated to find out when I got to the address she had given me that I was lost. Oh. She had been very adamant that I had to be there at 6, or I couldn't get in. At 6 o'clock, here I sat in front of the Annex building at the Tennessee Prison for Women. I was quite sure the GPS had let me down. And then I looked up through the heavy uh, chain-link fence with razor wire at the top, and there stood my friend saying, no time to think, I thought, but I did say this to myself, this is a weird place to have training. Jumped out of the car, went through the fence, and I will tell you Nothing has been the same since that day. But what about my calling? Did God really say? What did he say? Did God say my calling was to pastor a church or to minister to people? Did God say my calling was to serve church folk or was my calling to serve Christ? Had I been ordained by the church Or had I been ordained by God? Great questions. Commitment, calling, Christ. As Real Life Community Church uh, moves forward during this season of change, I actually hope that you may hear the question, Did God really say? I hope if you're hiding somewhere, you're going to hear him say, Where are you? There's work to be done. I hope if you're tired and discouraged or you're defeated, I hope you're going to hear God ask you lovingly, why are you lying thus on your face? Get up. I hope you may hear him say, who knows but what. You're here for such a time as this. And everybody here looks pretty well, but if you're paralyzed with fear or shame or disgrace or you just don't know how to move forward, I hope you hear Jesus ask very tenderly, do you want to be well? If your answer is yes, make a commitment. Stay committed. Make sure of your calling, even when it doesn't make sense. For the leadership of this church, did God really say? Did he really say this church should be here? Yes. Yes. He hasn't changed his mind. Did God say he needs you to be here? I think so, yeah. So stay committed. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You're going to bear fruit if you don't give up. Embrace your calling and know it's about Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. I know for a fact that your will will be done. Whether we get involved and do it or not, you'll find somebody. But today we're here to thank you that you did allow us to be involved thank you don't let us miss out on opportunities don't let us run from opportunities because we're scared to commit don't let us question the calling when once we know you said it thank you father thank you for Jesus Christ for whom We do everything we do to your honor, to your praise, to your glory, in Jesus' name.